Well, hello, saints, sinners, and all those in between. Welcome back to another episode of Chronicles Unleashed, where people detour from the road to redemption and struggle to find their way back. As you'll discover, the characters in our fictional stories, as well as the people in the real-life sagas, long for the same things, understanding, forgiveness, and mercy. You may even recognize pieces of your own life. Every week, Chronicles Unleashed will bring you tales of love, life, and human error. You'll be relieved to know that your own mistakes aren't as bad as you think. And even if they are, someone has done it before and been forgiven. Happy New Year! Thank God 2020 has come to a merciful end. At the end of last year, we ended with part two of the Red Box, where sibling rivalry was alive and well. Faye and Fatima competed and argued regularly, and even Franco and LJ had their moments. This kind of family dysfunction is so common, it dates back to, well, Cain and Abel. But let's take a closer look at some celebrities who struggle with the issue. Everybody knows about the bickering Braxtons who give each other that tough sister love and the Kardashians' physical fights. Can you even imagine what it must have been like for Kris Kardashian Jenner when her kids were small? Chloe probably said, I didn't slap her face, I was high-fiving her. And then Kim probably said, I didn't punch her, she slipped and fell against my fist, repeatedly. Well, the siblings we're highlighting went further than that and drew blood figuratively and in some cases, literally. While it's said that blood is thicker than water, it's a lot harder to clean up when it spills. So pull up a chair, people, and get out your popcorn. Our first story is called When the Punishment Exceeds the Crime. We'll start with politics. Remember First Lady Jackie Kennedy, who was married to POTUS number 35, John Fitzgerald Kennedy? When she and her sister Lee were single, they were known as the fabulous Bouvier sisters. While they were close at one time, their relationship took an ugly turn over social status and men. Lee did beat out her older sister down the matrimonial aisle. However, it was Jackie who married the future president of the United States. According to author Gore Vidal, Lee's first husband, Michael Canfield, told him, there were times when I think that Lee went too far, like the time she went to bed with Jack in the room next to mine in the south of France, and then she boasted about it. Yikes! This hearsay could have been fake news, but Jackie's behavior suggests that she believed the news was real. She was patient and deliberate in her response. Here's how Jackie handled that situation. Lee had been dating Aristotle Onassis, a very wealthy Greek shipping magnate, while he was married to his wife, Tina, and had a mistress, opera star Maria Callas. After his wife divorced him, he still had the mistress, but he and Lee continued their relationship. Lee even introduced Onassis to Jackie when she was first lady. It appeared that her goal was to improve her status from dusty side chick to leader of the free world's sister-in-law. That sounded better. 
and she thought this might encourage Onassis to marry her. Instead, about five years after JFK was assassinated, Jackie began to see Onassis herself, and then the two of them got married. There was a silver lining in the cloud, however. Lee was invited to the wedding. To recap, Jackie's response was, you slept with my man, I'll sleep with yours, and marry him. Gangster move. Ultimately, Jackie outlived Onassis and became a wealthy widow. Lee outlived Jackie, who died in May of 1994. But Jackie seemed to still hold a grudge. In her 38-page will, she did not even leave Lee so much as one memento. Jackie's last words to her sister were, I have made no provision in this will for my sister, Lee B. Radswell, for whom I have great affection, because I have already done so during my lifetime. Woo! The moral of that story? Beware of the fury of a patient woman. Our next story is called Kicking It With Your Brother. Did you know that Adidas and Puma sportswear began as a sibling rivalry? Two brothers, Adolf, nicknamed Adi, and Rudolf, nicknamed Rudy, Dassler, were German shoemakers who started their business in the 1920s, but they couldn't get along. It all came to a head in the midst of a World War II air raid. Now picture this. There's an air raid, which means that the enemy bomber planes are flying over the city. In order to avoid getting hurt, Adi and his family jump into the same bomb shelter where Rudy and his family were hiding. Adi, who was talking about the Allied forces that were coming after them in the plane, said, the dirty bastards are back again. Unfortunately, Rudy thought the comment was directed at him and his family. Really? You find time to argue with your brother during a World War II attack that could end in your deaths? Now that's some serious dysfunction. Adi might have been safer on the street. Anyway, about five years later, they divided up the company into Adi's company, which was Adidas, and Rudy's company, which was the Puma brand. The rivalry has continued with both companies as the Dossler companies earned the loyalties of different athletes, celebrities, and even different people in Germany. I'm betting you'll never look at Adidas and Puma shoes without remembering their stories. And by the way, the correct pronunciation for Adidas is Adidas. The competition remains fierce. Rod Laver of Adidas said, The time your game is the most vulnerable is when you're ahead. Never let up. For this story, you might want to get out your cornflakes and a glass of milk. This next saga is called The Flaky Relationship. John Kellogg was eight years older than his brother, Will. John treated Will horribly and constantly verbally bullied him. I guess that was a step up from when they were kids and he physically bullied him. Dr. John Kellogg in his day was one of the most celebrated physicians in all the United States. By 1904, he was a best-selling author 
and edited a health and well-being magazine that boasted millions of readers. He also owned the Battle Creek Sanatorium, a health spa, and a hotel that hosted the creme de la creme, such as Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, Sojourner Truth, and Amelia Earhart. While he gave Will no title, he employed him at the sanitarium for 25 years. It was America's most popular medical spa of the early 20th century, and probably would be best known as the birthplace of the cornflake. But some say that the biggest flake to come out of Battle Creek was the man in charge, John Harvey Kellogg, the dapper doctor who typically dressed in a white suit and white shoes and often had a white cockatoo perched on his shoulder. John also encouraged dietary discipline, and sexual abstinence. Apparently, he practiced what he preached as he was a vegetarian and reportedly was celibate in his own four-decade marriage. I'm going to let that marinate in the air for a minute. Celibate in his own four-decade marriage. Okay, well, moving on. John was obsessed with well-being and good health. He was determined to stamp out bad habits and made it his mission to ensure that Americans ate a whole grain diet. For years, he had tried to perfect the wheat flake, but then he tried using corn instead. The result was a hit. But while John saw the health benefits of the new corn flakes, Will recognized a business opportunity. And in a way to become independent of his brother, he quit his job working at the spa and set up his own company. That was when Kellogg's breakfast cereals were born and within a couple of years, it was hugely successful. The moral of this story, don't get even, get everything. Our next saga is the tale of two actresses. And we call this story, and the winner is, from a young age, actresses and sisters, Olivia de Havilland and Joan Fontaine competed for men, acting jobs, and even the attention of their mother, who was also an actress. When they were children, older sister Olivia was favored by the mother who fueled the competition. And though Joan was a very sickly child, the girls argued and physically fought each other. They engaged in hair pulling, savage wrestling matches, and one time Olivia even fractured Joan's collarbone. Later, the abuse became less physical and more psychological. As editor of their high school newspaper, Olivia apparently published a fake will in which she said, I bequeath to my sister the ability to win boys' hearts which she does not have at present. <laughs> Ouch! Though both sisters excelled in acting, Olivia got her opportunity first and was signed to a movie studio, and Joan, who knew how to drive, served as Olivia's chauffeur. Later, Joan began to act for another studio and alleged that she was approached to read for the part of Melanie in Gone with the Wind, but was rejected because she looked too stylish. Olivia, who did win that role, 
said that she was the first choice of the movie studio. Nonetheless, Olivia did a wonderful job, but she felt she didn't get the recognition she deserved. She thought she should have been nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress for the role of Melanie, but she received the nomination for Best Supporting Actress. To add insult to injury, Olivia lost to her co-star, Hattie McDaniel, marking the first time that a person of color had ever won an Oscar. You know her feelings were hurt. Because of her race, McDaniel was forced to sit in the back of the room near the kitchen and was shocked when her name was called. Olivia, for her part, would later admit that the loss thrust her into something of a depression for a few weeks, but then she moved on. The epic rivalry with her sister came to a head in 1942 when they made history by competing for the Best Actress Oscar. Olivia and Joan were both nominated for the Best Oscar, Olivia for Hold Back the Dawn, and Joan for her Hitchcock movie, Suspicion, marking the first time that a pair of siblings ever competed against each other in the same category at the Academy Awards. When younger sister Joan won out over Olivia, although Olivia did eventually get her own Oscar, Olivia snubbed her and refused to congratulate her. The second big snub came in 1975 when Joan called out Olivia for supposedly failing to notify her when their mother died, to which Olivia replied that Joan would have been too busy to attend the funeral anyway. Mm. The Star Sisters gave each other the silent treatment for the next 40 or so years until such time as Joan's death in December of 2013. Now, I'm not really sure what the moral of this story is. It could be that silence says more than you think, or it could be that awkward moment when you give someone the silent treatment and they don't even notice. You choose which one you think is more appropriate. Our next saga is about a popular boy band called the Jonas Brothers, and we call this story Discord. Now, this group sold out stadiums to mostly female fans. But then, in October of 2013, heartthrobs Nick, Kevin, and Joe Jonas abruptly canceled their 19-city tour due to a deep rift within the band. Guess all that testosterone couldn't fit on the stage. The trio released five songs as part of a live album before officially splitting. But it wasn't the first time the guys went their separate ways. The band previously took a three-year break, but then they got back together again. This time, Joe Jonas went on to join the band DNCE, which received worldwide fame for their hit, Cake by the Ocean. Then, in February 2019, the Jonas Brothers found a way to leave their egos at the door and enter the studio to work together again. They reunited and released their first single in six years, the catchy hit Sucker, complete with a music video. The brothers are touring with their new album, proving that no feud could stop their musical talents and love for one another. Moral of the story, when you forgive, you heal. When you let go, you grow. 
Our next story is called, When You're Trying to Right a Wrong. You know, back in the day before Google, when people actually read newspapers, advice columns were very popular. People would write in anonymously and ask for advice on sensitive issues. Well, in 1955, Epi Letterer authored a very popular column called Ask Ann Landers. The only problem was, a few months later, her identical twin sister, Pauline Friedman, began writing an advice column called Dear Abby. You see the direction this is going in, right? The feud really got heated when Pauline allegedly offered to write Dear Abby for their hometown newspaper for less pay if it promised not to print Ask Ann Landers. Let the flames begin. After that, it was on and the beef lasted for decades. Apparently, neither sister thought to write the other anonymously to resolve the issue. Though some say the twins managed to patch things up at the end of their lives, the next generation did not get the memo. When Ann Landers died, her daughter Margot Howard blasted Abby's daughter, her cousin Jean Phillips. Both cousins were writers. Jean claimed that her aunt praised her writing, and Margot insists that her mother felt that Jean's column was subpar. Margot also accused Jean of criticizing Ann Landis for not updating her column and for keeping her health issues a secret. Family counseling, anyone? Whew. The moral of this story? Feuds are like weeds. Once it's grown roots, it's harder to dig up, and it's far easier to spread. Our last story is called Endgame, and it's about two brothers who happen to coach football. Now, reportedly, the rivalry between Jim and John Harbaugh has always been a relatively friendly one. The brothers genuinely show mutual respect for one another, and older brother John has even said it one time or another that Jim was the best coach in football at that time. And then, for the first time, the Harbaugh's went head-to-head when their teams, the Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers, each made it to the 2013 Super Bowl. The Ravens defeated the 49ers 34-31. to And while Jim congratulated John on the victory, John reportedly said that the situation was very awkward after the game. Both brothers were intensely competitive, but they were soon back on track and on perfectly good terms, and Jim has said that their relationship is even stronger. The moral of the story? The only way to prove that you're a good sport is to lose. Philippians 2 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Get unleashed and share whether you think that envy or pride plays the most significant role in sibling rivalry and why. Hit us up on Facebook and Instagram or on Twitter at Chronicles, capital U-N-L-E-1. Join us next week for the final episode of The Red Box. Will the Littleton siblings finally be able to resolve their issues? 
Invite your friends and family to come join us and become unleashed. We only get paid when we get played, so hit us up every week. Special thanks to Mixkit and Michael Ramirez C for the Chronicles Unleashed theme song, Scripted Life. This is Donna Edwards signing off, reminding you that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. There is hope for us all.